0: Hello, Agnes.
1: Hi, Robin. So today we're going to talk about Moore's Paradox. I'll tell you what it is first. So um, suppose that it's raining right now where I am, but you don't know that. You don't have any beliefs about whether it's raining or not in Chicago. And so there's a sentence. The sentence is, it's raining in Chicago, but Robin doesn't believe that. That sentence is something that everyone in the world can believe or know except you, Robin. That is, there you have a blind spot. There's a fact, a truth about the world that you're excluded from, that you can't see. In fact, there are many such truths. Sure. Um, every true thing that you don't believe, there's a sentence of this kind. In addition, also every false thing that you do believe, there's a sentence of this kind. Okay. Um, of course, you could... Um, You know, we could correct you with respect to the weather so I could tell you, Robin, it is raining in Chicago. Um, But that still wouldn't put you in a position where you could assert such a sentence because you would just have changed your mind. Yep, I see it. Okay, so the reason why this is a paradox is that you might antecedently have thought um, that any truth can be asserted by anyone. That is, that if something is a truth about the way the world is, then I could know that truth. It turns out there's a set of truths for each one of us that are unknowable, unthinkable, and unassertable, according to Moore's paradox. So that's the paradox.
0: It's. I'm persuaded. It sounds true. So what goes wrong if I believe I mean, the word paradox suggests I'm going to be in tension with something else. Like, if I accept this, something else I have to give up. But what am I giving up if
1: I accept? You're giving up the uh, claim that all truths are assertible.
0: Yeah. I, so done. Well, now what?
1: Okay. <laughs> okay. So um, I think that um, uh, that's that's right. That's the tactic that most people take with respect to Moore's paradox. Um, so they would say, yeah, it just, it turns out not all truths are assertable. Um, uh, and I want to offer you a different route. Um, that is to say, in fact, these, what these are more sentences, right. Um, uh, that more sentences can be asserted. And so you don't have to accept that horn of the dilemma. So and asserted se-
0: by the person involved. Yes uh, yes risky. yes
1: right it's only it's only counts as a more sentence for yeah. the relative okay. person right yeah um so um
0: can I can i just summarize i mean i would think the key situation here is i have to say i'm i am wrong about x which is exactly. hard i could say i was wrong about x or i will be wrong about x but it's hard to say i am wrong about x
1: exactly right so that's the problem um it is hard to see that you are wrong about something. And the reason why it's hard to see that is because that is, you know, there's a kind of discrepancy between the way the world is and the way that you think it is. And it looks like anyone can see that discrepancy, but not you. You're not going to be right. able to see the ways in which your mind diverges from the world.
0: now. I could just split into multiple personalities who have different opinions about each other, but that's not going to be very satisfying, I expect, right?
1: Well, none of them is able to assert a more paradoxical sentence. So there they have the same problem that you do.
0: Well, this I in here will then be modified to be different versions of us, right? So I think it's raining, but the other I doesn't, you know, so so it's about but you would need those two eyes to be the same part of us say even not just the same person but the same part
1: well or i need each of them individually to be able to assert the sentence and and they're not individually right you're somehow trying to cobble the sentence together out of <laughs> different eyes but but that's not an asser- an, asser- an assertion has got to be like one person asserting all the one eye asserting all the way through that's how you get an assertion if i start saying something and then you continue saying it, that's not one assertion um. Uh. Like, not unless you're, you know, continuing something you take me to be saying, right? Um. Okay. Uh
0: And you're so, also requiring that each eye sort of have full scope of all topics, right? If I if I could break myself into different parts who only has limited scope of topics, then I might get away with this or something. But you're not going to like that either.
1: I, I'm not sure I understand that.
0: Well, what one I might have the specialist is just you know talks about the subjects of what i'm right or wrong about and the other i who has the topics of what they believe about rain and those are different parts of me who you know i i can't put the same i in those two conjunctions because different parts of me are required to do those different sentences or something but you know.
1: well I, what i want to know is i mean say say that there's some part of you that thinks about what you're right or wrong about like and like does that make sense um does it make sense that there's a part of you who's like yeah, you know, uh, I'm wrong about the weather here. Uh, I, I, mean, so I I think it, it doesn't make much sense. That I mean, we is, do,
0: We do sometimes might... talk in those terms. Like we say, as I was saying this, I realized, <laughs> I was realized as I was saying it that I was lying, right? That that was just wrong. But and that could right. be an overlapping sensation. I was still saying it even as I was realizing it.
1: Right. So, um, so first of all, actually, it's worth taking a step back for like, um, generic admissions of fallibility are um, are still possible, right? Even given Morse paradox, So I can say I am liable to be wrong about the weather or you could say yeah. I'm often wrong about, I may well right now for all I know be wrong about the weather in Chicago. You can say that, right? Um, uh, so um, um, that kind of taking a step back from yourself and acknowledging that it's possible that you're wrong, that's that's not the same thing as asserting that you are wrong about something in particular. Even saying something like, "Look, Robin, probably something I've said I will say to you over the course of this hour will be wrong," right? right? That's not yet what we're talking about either. Now you're imagining catching yourself while you're going right. So say I'm like, um, uh, "It's." It's not raining. And as I'm saying the word raining, I look out the window and it's raining. Right. Um, Well, you might say what happens there is that like the second half of the word raining, I'm keeping on saying it out of the momentum of speech. Right. But I don't mean it anymore. By the time I get to the second half of the word, I don't mean it anymore. Um, Because like as soon as I realize that it isn't raining like, as, as soon as I, sorry, that it is raining, I look out the window and I see the rain. As soon as I realize that, my belief that it isn't raining immediately vanishes. And any rest of the word that I say is just, like, falls dead out of my mouth. I'm not, you know, I, okay. I, I would even take it back. Like, I'd be like, oh, no, right? Um, Unless I wanted to deceive you.
0: So one of the exercises we're doing here is we're taking some parts of your mind and their thoughts. And we're sort of extending that to a larger set of consistent beliefs that we presume is what we quote think, even if in some sense it isn't in our head. Um, so that, I guess that's a valid, typical approximation. I just wanted to note it because I'm reading this book called the mind is flat that's going over and denying that denying that we have all these subconscious, you know, that, that we have all these beliefs about all these topics that saying basically only have a have a belief when it's in your head at that moment and otherwise it doesn't even exist and so
1: i don't think it would much change um like suppose that you at a given moment said something to me like i don't have any beliefs about whether it's raining in chicago so presumably that's a current right because you just said it then I can set up Moore's Paradox that way and say, well, look, here's something that's true about the world, namely, it's raining, but Robin doesn't believe it, that Robin doesn't have access to. So I don't think I need unconscious beliefs or anything like that to set up Moore's Paradox. I can just say, you believe whatever is currently in your mind at the moment, and we have the paradox still.
0: So let's go with your solution.
1: Okay. So my solution is um, that it's in fact possible. To assert uh, a more paradoxical sentence, and we have an example in Plato's Al- Alcibiades, where um, Socrates says Alcibiades doesn't know about justice and injustice, though he thinks he does. And he and he's like, "Isn't isn't that what we've agreed to, Alcibiades?" The thing I just said. And Alcibiades is like, "Yeah, we had agreed to, to that." So Alcibiades agrees to the claim that Alcibiades doesn't know about justice and injustice, though he thinks he does, which is, uh, it's not more paradoxical when Socrates says it, but it's more paradoxical when, when Alcibiades agrees to it. Yes. Um, and so I, I, I want to say two things about how this um, interaction differs from the interaction that you and I might have if you didn't think, Um, that it was raining um so if suppose we were in the same place right and uh uh you're like it's not raining in chicago and i'm like yes it is robin just look out the window um then you would immediately be like okay fine i guess it is right so it would be relatively easy to change your mind i mean you might not even look out the window it might be enough for you that i said look out the window and you would think to yourself probably she wouldn't say that unless she had a reason to so i guess it's raining um, so it is easy. It is easy to change your mind about whether or not it's raining. Um, it's really hard for Socrates um, to get Alcibiades to admit that he doesn't know about justice and injustice, because Alcibiades wants to rule the world, and what he, the way that he wants to rule the world is by giving advice about what the city should do, and that advice is advice about justice and injustice. Uh, so even after socrates gets alcibiades to acknowledge this like so- alcibiades barely misses a beat where he's like okay i've got a new definition of justice let's try this one right I, the one i just gave you didn't work let's try again um so, uh, so socrates is like having to over and over again show alcibiades that he doesn't know what justice and injustice is. it would be like it you know uh uh if I had to keep trying to prove to you that it was raining, even after right. you looked out the window and you saw the right. rain, right? Okay. So that's like one difference between the two cases. That's important. And the other difference is that in the case of the rain, I change your mind. That is I go, you you go from thinking it's raining. It's not raining to thinking that it's raining. You kind of flip over to like having a new view. And that's not what happens to Alcibiades. He doesn't, come to change his mind he just comes to see that he is wrong that is he's like he's stuck he sees and he feels that he's stuck um you're not stuck ever with the rain you're just like no it's not raining oh okay it is raining but he has and these two things the fact that it's hard um to move alcibiades relative to you and the rain and the fact that alcibiades can be stuck and thus can can be living inside of an ignorance and a mistake that is visible to him are related to one another.
0: So can we just say the sentence that Alcibiades can say that is a Moore's law? I mean, he says, I don't know what justice is, and what What else does he say? Or
1: Alcibiades doesn't understand justice and injustice, we though see. he believes he does.
0: But can he say, "I don't understand justice"? Though I believe I do. That's the
1: well. Claim. He he agrees to it, like Socrates says. Yeah, isn't this what our argument has driven us to? This sentence, and Alcibiades is like, "Yes."
0: But then it sounds like at that point he thinks he doesn't understand. I mean,
1: he, thinks can he, he doesn't understand justice and injustice. Yeah, but he believes that he does too.
0: I mean, are we allowing contradictions in the belief set? I mean, if so, then obviously that's the simpler way to solve the Moore's paradox, right? just allow people to believe contradictory things.
1: Right. So I think that um, it's not that when... So Moore's paradox, a, a more paradoxical sentence isn't a contradiction. And that's important, right? Because... There'd be no paradox about why you can't assert a contradiction or believe a contradiction. But far from being contradictory, it could just very well be true that you don't know that it's raining, though it is, right? That's not a contradiction. Alcibiades believing that he understands justice and injustice when he doesn't, in fact, do so, that's not a contradictory state of affairs. That's, in fact, the state of affairs that obtains Right. It's a way that the world could be. And so Alcibiades himself could believe that the world is the way described by that sentence. Because it's a it could be a true sentence. Right. And that's that's what Socrates is getting him to see.
0: Am I allowed to say, I don't know if it's raining, but it's raining.
1: Uh so I I mean we can discuss that, <laughs> but my feeling is that, um, just as such, no.
0: That looks just like what you're postulating this guy to say, so right. what's the difference?
1: Right. So so remember how I was um, trying to draw out the two differences between trying to correct you about the rain and Socrates trying to correct Alcibiades? The two differences are, first, that it's relatively easy to correct you about the rain. Right. And second, that Alcibiades um, is able to say, I am wrong, not I was wrong. That is, with respect to you, what I get you to do is change your mind. But that's not what Socrates gets Alcibiades to do. So what we have to do is look at, like, what explains these two differences? And I think it's that um, you don't care whether it's raining in Chicago. That doesn't matter to you. You're indifferent about that. Um, it's not the case that your whole identity and conception of who you are and the point of your life is all grounded on this question: Is it raining in Chicago? In fact, not rip, just about nothing about who you are is resting on your beliefs about whether it's raining in Chicago. However, the same is not true of Alcibiades. Alcibiades' whole life is this quest that he's on to rule the world. That's who he is. He would rather die than not proceed on this quest. That's already been established in the conversation, right? And so Alcibiades can't let go of the thought that he knows about justice and injustice. He he would poof out of existence. He just wouldn't be himself anymore. So something is holding him to that, even as he's shown. But look, Alcibiades, you tried to like explain to me, say where you learned about justice, and you weren't able to do so. Um and so it doesn't it doesn't seem like you know.
0: If I could care that much about justice, I could care that much about raining. I mean, I agree. You could so we, we could find a context in which I would similarly be able to, you know, say it's not raining, but say I believe it's raining because it was so important for me
1: to believe I agree. This is why my solution to Moore's paradox is perfectly general, in fact, and it covers all sentences. That is, um, uh, if you will agree with me about the Alcibiades example, Then all we need to do is for any given sentence, you know, I'm five foot seven, but Robin doesn't know it or something for any sentence like that. In order to make it assertable by you, we just have to posit the case where your entire life depends on me being five foot seven or not being five foot seven. And then yes, you could assert it. So yeah, that's right. Um, This is a, this is a general solution. It suggests that every truth is in fact assertable, except that you know for these more paradoxical truths they're only assertable under a um like somewhat unique set of conditions where that error is one on that's of like okay. profound significance to the person
0: say i know a and i know b and i know a and b imply c yeah and then i believe a i believe b i believe a and b imply c but i don't believe c right If that's allowed, then we're allowing a sort of a certain kind of incomplete or inconsistent set of beliefs. And that seems to be what is required here. Some, some way in which simple inferences aren't being fully followed so that, you know, what you would have thought would be an inference isn't actually in their beliefs, so. Once you allow for those sorts of incomplete or inconsistent things that have got a lot more beliefs are allowed.
1: Incomplete and inconsistent are very different from one another. So um, it is simply not the case that everyone believes all the entailments of all of their beliefs. Right. (laughs) Um, That's Our minds are not that powerful.
0: And that's what you're positing here.
1: There are many things that are entailed by stuff that we believe that we don't believe.
0: And that's what you seem to be relying on here. Just saying, let's let the two parts of the moral paradox. One is entailed by things that the related to the other, but you're just not going to. That entailment is not going to actually be implemented in this person's
1: mind. Right. I mean, um, um, this is a much more puzzling case than like, um, failing to draw an entailment is. That's like, um, that's ubiquitous, right? This right. is a puzzling failure to draw entailments, So only some failures to draw entailments are puzzling, because some entailments are like sure. just going to be really far down the line.
0: So um, there's there's two elements of, of of an entailment. One is how easy it is it to do the calculation, and the other is how reluctant are you to draw the conclusion. You're right. you're going with the reluctance to draw the conclusion. We could also do it through, say, a long string of inference required to get to the conclusion.
1: Right, but I think that. um I mean, when you say reluctance, that makes it sound like the person like has a choice yeah. and they're they're unwilling or something. Um, and um, able. Yeah, so I think that um, it's something like. Um, there. Everything that if everything that Alcibiades does, if every minute of his day. Is driven by, including the very conversation he's having right now with Socrates, is driven by this thought: I have to become ruler of the world, or at the very least, at the moment, ruler of the Athenians. Um, Then, and then here's this possibility: Well, you might just not be able to do that. That's not admissible for him. It's it's okay. for simple, for for reasons why something that's illogical may also be inadmissible into right this for him it like inadmissible.
0: But the point thing is, there's what would it, what seem to be a simple inference that's not being made, an entailment is not being followed, and we can have many reasons for that. But all we need is for that to happen, and then you can get these more sentences to be said by a person who, you know, believes a but not the entailment of a because of many reasons why they wouldn't do that and then they can say these two things.
1: So I think you need a little bit more um, because um, I think it's not an accident that the way that this Moore sentence gets asserted is um, in a conversation where one person is asking questions and the other person is answering them. So say you're Alcibiades, right? And it's just like a fundamental presupposition of every minute of your life that you've got to rule the world, then you're not gonna so much be asking yourself the question but can i rule the world and is it legitimate for me to do so and do i have right. the ability yeah. and do i have a claim on doing so um and so like similarly right you might say even with respect to like the weather like if you don't think it's raining in chicago you're not very motivated to be like but is it raining in chicago cuz you think like sure. it's not right or 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 um um you like right. you don't have a um a particular reason to look into it.
0: Sure, but that's just one of many reasons for not producing an entailment, right?
1: Well, um right, but we we don't we we need more than just the absence of the entailment. We need the presence of the two things driving the entailment. So in order yeah. to get the assertion of a more sentence, you need both of those states of affairs to obtain. Right? And what I'm saying is um the conventional philosophical wisdom, which you were inclined to agree with at the beginning of this conversation and thus dump a, I think, um, really profound and important truth, namely that truths must be able to be assertable, that conventional wisdom is driven by an implicit model that assertion is speaking into the void. That is, what it is for someone to say something is like they stand on the hilltop and they're like, P, but I don't believe that P or something. Right? Yeah. and if that's what you have in the back of your head as what it means to say something, then you're gonna think, ah, Moore's paradox is this big problem because there's a bunch of stuff I can't say. Um, and then maybe you think, well, that's fine because I didn't expect that I was gonna be able to say everything anyway. But philosophers think it's a problem because they did expect it, and then they might give up that expectation. But what I'm saying is that that the 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 underlying problem here is that there's a bunch of stuff that you might not be able to say unless somebody helps you. That is, that what we can say is a function of what conversations we're in. Alcibiades is able to say, P, but I don't believe it, because he's talking to Socrates, and because Socrates is pushing him to bring to the forefront um, the materials for the entailment that he can't make.
0: But all we need is the situation where some entailment is not being made, and you know the contrary is there. So we start with the contrary to the entailment. We have the material from entailment. We could make the entailment, but we don't. Now we are in a situation where we have this combination of beliefs. And there are many reasons why somebody might show it to us so that we could make this combination and this person helping is one of them. Um, That all seems true. Uh, But the key move was to move into this larger space of mental states where we have these unrealized entailments. That's how it seems to me. once you, once you have that, you can have what basically seem like contradictions, but not quite contradictions. They are unfollowed entailments. And, but you might find it odd that anybody would say a conjunction of those two, those two parts of themselves, or might you think they would just have different parts of themselves that were incoherent with each other, but they wouldn't notice that. So it might be odd odd for someone to go out of their way to say, you know, take the two parts of themselves that are in conflict and say it, that would be the sort of thing that they might say it just before they get rid of it. Like I might notice a contradiction and then, you know, try to get rid of it the moment later, but you might think, how is it that I would come to say this contradiction without having gotten rid of it even before the words left my mouth? And you might say, because somebody else said it first and you said, okay, I agree.
1: Uh, well that that's not what happens to alcibiades that is alcibiades the alcibiades case is not like the case where in the middle of saying the word raining you see that it's raining because alcibiades continues at, even as he agrees with that and even afterwards he can conti- he's able to persist in the recognition of the truth of this uh more paradoxical sentence and I guess what I'm saying is that I think it's not just an accident or just a feature of this case that, like, this these two, let's say, horns are being shoved in Alcibiades' face. I don't think there's any way this could happen other than having it shoved in his face. Because if you think about the way um, thinking works, like, when I start to think of something is wrong, like, inside of my own head, I just move on. And um, there's like what Socrates is doing is he's holding Alcibiades to stuff that he has said earlier in the conversation. He's like he's like suspending it. Right. And and saying, look, all these things that you agreed to, they're still present to us. And now here's this other thing that I'm going to draw your attention to. And I'm going to make you look at it all at once. And I think that the way that our minds work when we're thinking by ourselves is we so put a premium on sort of thinking that we're right about stuff that if there's that tension we just won't look at all of it we'll just look at some part of it that is the unwillingness to draw the entailment will reverberate backwards to an unwillingness to take it all into view
0: so one thing that's bothering me is the structure so you i mean an analogy might be i say i I understand religion. I know why religion exists. Yeah. And I say, it's because people like are afraid of death. And then you right. say, no, that's not right, Robin. Look, you know, here's people who are religious and, 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 you know, still afraid of death or something else. Right. And then I go, oh, yeah. Well, religion is about the, you know, the powerful needing to coy the masses. Right. And, and I tell you that. And you say, no, that's not right. Cause here's people, here's places without powerful people, but they still believe in religion. Right. And I go, oh, well, then religion is, so in this form, my claim is I know what religion is. Yeah. And then you tell me, and I tell you a particular theory about what religion is, and then you knock that down, and then I immediately offer a new theory. And now the question is, well, I mean, in some sense, I was wrong about the particular theory I had about religion. I mean, so that's a sense what, you know, if I if the claim was, I know why why we have religion, it's, the first reason, then you've shown me the first reason isn't right. And now I offer a second reason you say, oh, the second reason is right. So, um, it seems like I should, at some point, as soon as you knock down my first reason, I should admit, oh, well, I didn't know what religion was, but now I'm trying to turn myself into the person who does think he knows what religion is by offering a new theory. And so I'm quickly trying to fill in a gap you've shown me. As opposed to arguing about what the previous state was. So, if we distinguish like moments in time, when did I know what religion is? Well, I got to admit, at the first part of the conversation, I didn't know what religion is. I have to admit that later. I might think, well, now I do, but later up before I didn't. So, it seems like if the claim is, I know what religion is, it's kind of ambiguous. At which time did I know what religion is? Uh, and similarly with Alcibiades, you know, in some sense, he's got to admit that he didn't know before even if he now thinks he knows because he made up a new reason.
1: Right. So there's a little bit of time before he comes up with the new reason. I mean, it's not that much time, but it's like a couple of words, exchanges, right? And so, but what I think what this sheds light on is like with the religion person, um, let's say, um, 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 we might distinguish whether they're more similar to you about the weather in Chicago, or whether they're more similar to Alcibiades about his knowledge of justice, right? So there might be someone who's like, "I know what religion is," and they had an idea about it, and you're like, "No, here's why that's wrong." Like, okay, I guess I didn't. Whatever, right? That is, they might be. It might be relatively easy to change their mind about it. Re- relatively little might be riding on it for them. But that's that's one case, right? And in that case, that's probably what would happen. But suppose that it was, like, very central to who they were, that they know what their, what religion is, that, like, you know, a very, it's a very deep part of their identity. It's part of what's driving them in this very conversation is the thought, I am no one unless I know what religion is. Well, then they're going to want to pivot really quickly, right? And to be like, yeah, I still know what religion is. Um, And... Um, they're not going to want to spend much time in that intermediate state, like after you've shown them that their first definition was wrong, but before they've come up with the second one. This happens all the time with Socrates, by the way. Right. It's like he it's a pattern of how he interacts with people it's like they give a definition. They're like, oh, this is easy. And they give one. And then he's like, no, that doesn't work. And they're like, oh, OK, here's another one. Right. And then um, there's a there's a dialogue called Amino where Amino describes says Socrates you're like a kind of fish that stings people and then it makes their mouths numb that's what I feel like because I'm really good at giving speeches about virtue I've done it on a lot of occasions for some reason right now my mouth isn't working because of you um, but like but I clearly do know right um um and. But, but like, why would you want to move quickly to the next definition? Well, it's exactly because you do not want to spend much time in this condition that Alcibiades is in at the at this very moment, right? Um, Being in a position where you can assert a more paradoxical sentence is not comfortable. It's recognizing that you're wrong okay. and that doesn't feel good. But
0: in that short gap, if we ask, can he say the more sentence at that moment?
1: Right. The answer is says- going to be yes, because he says it.
0: Well, you might think he only says it when he when he has his new theory, right?
1: He doesn't though.
0: Um So uh, now that's the problem. Like he knows that his first theory is wrong. He yeah. knows he doesn't have a second theory. Yeah. And so can he claim that I know when he doesn't know how he knows? He just has is is saying I know really mean I will figure it out. Is that allowed? Is that is that a kind of knowing I will figure it out eventually therefore I know now?
1: I think that um uh, you're raising your hand somehow
0: yeah, I have no idea why that happened to me.
1: But... okay um, 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 I think that the reason why Alcibiades thinks that he knows about justice has nothing to do with the validity of his past definition of justice it is he thinks he knows about justice because he has to know about justice
0: Right, but when Socrates says your definition didn't work, therefore you don't know, and he yeah. agrees with that. And in some sense, he's agreeing with a different sense of the phrase. Right? There's right. The, like, it, you know, he's saying, "I do know fundamentally, and so I'll figure out a way to say it to you." But yes, you got me. The last definition I gave you didn't work. Right. So that's the sense in which I don't know. Which what I mean is the definition I gave you doesn't work. So obviously, I was wrong about that definition, but. I still know means I'll, fi- I'll find a definition. I am pretty sure I'll find one. And that will show that I knew all along because it'll sort of come from something that I knew all along. But when he says you're right, Socrates, he's really sounds like he's more admitting, yeah, you got me. The definition I gave you didn't work.
1: So I think that, um, there is such a thing as kind of like recouping or something, re- regrouping, let's say, right. um, um where alcibiades is like let me try this but i think that there's before he regroups what we really have is one argument that points to alcibiades knowing what justice is the premise of which is i have to know about what justice is therefore i do know what justice is that's one argument and then we have another argument that points to Alcibiades not knowing about what justice is, namely the stuff I say about what justice is, is incoherent. And, um, you know, with respect to that second argument, maybe the first time you try, um, you're like, oh, well, let me try again. He does try again. Right. And right. he does try again. And um, and, um, um you know, there's a like there are a variety of ways to sort of reconcile this tension, um, in favor of, well, maybe I got to change my life and no longer start, um, trying to rule the world because I, I don't know what justice is. So I don't know how to rule the world. And then there's, well, maybe there's another definition coming, but there's also such a thing as you're in the state where both of these arguments are compelling to you. You don't, um, uh, you don't you're not immediately willing to give either either of them up. And that's the state of realizing you're wrong and you're in that more paradoxical sentence. And that's something that's possible that basically like all philosophers think is impossible. And it's possible. So that's a big deal.
0: But it, it seems to me like if you make I mean all all language is you know a condensation uh, abbreviation relative to some way we could expand things more precisely. And You might argue that in this case, it looks like these are the same thing, but they're really two different things. Like one case they're saying, yes, the argument I gave you was wrong. Therefore that argument doesn't know about justice, but I know about justice, uh, because I will figure it out eventually. So there, there could just be, these things aren't, this aren't the same thing.
1: Right. I think you could make those moves, but you could also not yet make them right. So you could be in the state before you've made those moves. Uh, like in a way, you're imagining that Alcibiades is thinking really fast, but this is the first time he's ever had a conversation in this of this kind in his whole life. And uh, he's kind of shocked. Um, like Socrates has sort of shown him that, you know, he couldn't have um uh Learned what justice and injustice were from the people around him because the people around him disagree about it. Um, they and so like they wouldn't be good teachers of it. Plus, it seems like when he was five years old and he was playing his friends at um, you know, dice and and they cheated him and he got angry, um, he he thought he knew back then, right? And so he couldn't have learned it later if he thought he already knew it at the age of five. Um, and for Alcibiades, it's like it's like a huge shock to realize that this story that he'd been telling himself, which is like, I'm pretty wise about justice, um, kind of collapses when he tries to explain it. And, you know, you're offering him ways to regroup and, and those are possible and he's going to try to take some of them. But there's before he does that. And that's just when he can say the sentence. That's when he can realize that he's wrong. And maybe the thing about intellectuals, right, is that we're like we're like really good at getting out of that feeling that we're wrong we get out of it super fast and maybe partly it's because we are so practiced at getting out of it that we're like pretty unsympathetic to people who are dogmatic and um always insist they're right etc because we're like we're really good at slipping out of that feeling of being wrong such that like we really quickly are like okay yeah but like let me you know um, and so, so we're, we're, I mean, to the point where we we're almost questioning whether this state exists, but it does exist, and it's like traumatic for Alcibiades uh, to 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 just be have his eyes held open and be looking at the face of his own wrongness.
0: So, I do think we have this ideal of a mental state, and in the ideal mental state. Not only is everything consistent, but all all inferences that are relevant have been drawn out and included. And then real mental states not only don't draw all relevant inferences, they don't, they aren't always even consistent. Sometimes they're even intrinsically vague that we don't even know what we mean. And we don't even know if it could be, we don't even know if it's consistent, right? Or if it could be like so I think, but we often try to present ourselves as if we were in this more ideal mental state where everything's consistent and all inferences are drawn. And I do agree with you that, um, when we catch ourselves deviating from the ideal, we are often looking for easy saves so that we can find a way to, to frame it such that we are in the ideal. And then some people aren't so good at that and they get more caught being incoherent and inconsistent and not having drawn inferences. And that it's worth asking, like, what consequences does this approximation have for our norms and analysis of reasoning? Because often our norms and analysis of reasoning are really relative to this ideal. We sort of presume a bunch of people are all in this ideal state, and then we say, well, how should those people talk to each other, and how should they respond, and what should they assume when a person says, you know, if somebody's, says A and they know A applies B, then surely we should presume they, 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 they know B and and believe B, but sometimes they don't. And then the question is, how do we deal with this larger space of creatures who have this larger space of possible states? And honestly, it, it gets a lot worse than that. Right? So like I was saying, I was reading this book, the mind is flat saying, well, we often just don't have these sets of beliefs at all. We're often like reconstructing them on the fly. And and there is a lot of truth to that. That is like in polling, often we ask people for a political opinion on some policy and they give us one and we ask them again a few hours later and they give us a different one <laughs> and they, they were just making them up on the spot. And often like we ask people to choose between A and B and they choose A and then we slip them B and say, why did you ch- pick B? And then they give us reasons why they picked B. When they thought it was a, they don't realize we, we tricked them. Right. So there's just all these ways in which people are really quite incoherent. And then, you know, of course, if you make definitions of what a rational person state, they can be in like Moore's claim, right? His analysis is based on a certain more idealized agent and that idealized agent can't believe those sentences. But Hey, if we look in this larger space of agents, sure, they can believe these sentences. Uh,
1: I mean, Moore was not imagining an idealized agent. He was just imagining. And in fact, uh, uh, when you when you initially agreed to the thought that, you know, you can't have this belief, I don't think you were imagining an idealized agent. You were imagining yourself.
0: I, I was thinking of myself as this idealized agent. Yes, I think so. That is what I say. I can't say that I was wrong. Uh, that I am wrong. Uh, that. I think is invoking that ideal. Yes, if you
1: were an ideal agent. You wouldn't be wrong in the first place, so of course you wouldn't be able to know you were wrong.
0: Well, that's an even stronger form of ideal. So there's the ideal who just knows everything, but that's not usually a deal we're we're talking in terms of. But certainly, the agent who knows everything and is therefore never wrong about anything is even more ideal.
1: I think that the right moral or one right moral to draw from this story is that we don't really catch ourselves deviating from ideals other people catch us we don't catch ourselves and because um it's a little bit like why you can't make promises to yourself because you'll just let yourself out of the promise you'll just be like okay "Okay, self i release you um i mean you can like i think I, i mean there's this language of making promises to yourself but given that you can release yourself from the promise it seems to me to be a fake promise Um, um, and, you know, you can of course decide to hold yourself to the promise too, but like you could have just decided to do the thing. Um,
0: I I agree that we definitely find it more easy to see mistakes in others than ourselves and errors and inconsistencies. I mean, yes, that we, we tend to hide it from ourselves and we tend to be eager to find them in others. So,
1: right. And so, so. But, well, I guess I'm saying something stronger than that, which is Morse Paradox isn't just an ordinary garden variety case of failing to draw out an entailment. That is, that's everywhere. And if I had started this by giving you an example of a case where uh, somebody fails to draw out an entailment and I said, that's impossible, Robin, no one can ever do it, you would have said, no, of course it's possible. The thing I said, you said thought it was impossible because you thought no one could do it, not because you thought an ideal agent wouldn't do it. It's hard to see. It's really hard to tell a story about how someone could assert, P, but I don't believe it. You need an extraordinary set of circumstances. You basically need a conversation of the kind that Socrates sets up with Alcibiades, where Socrates is continuously holding something in Alcibiades' face. So it's like normally you can't do it. Um, that, that is, even as a flawed, defective agent, you can't do it. You can only do it with help. And, like, the thing about people wavering in their political opinions, I would draw a very similar moral, namely people are not very good at stably thinking anything, but that's, you know, you can easily discover that if you decide not to help them at all and you decide all I'm going to do is, like, ask them for an opinion and then a little bit later ask them for another opinion and not try at all to make their opinions be improved.
0: So it seems to me the interesting, useful question here is to maybe start a list and put this at the first entry on the list of what things other people can help us see more easily than we can see ourselves. And when, Um, here's a thing somebody else could help you see, you don't see it so well yourself. What are the things that other people can help us see and how, how can we get them to do it if if we want?
1: But here's the problem. I think the thing that other people can help us see, as you were just saying, the 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 best example of that is mistakes, but it's not going to be trivial mistakes like the rain, right? We can correct right. those uh, relatively easily on our own. It's going to be kind of sticky mistakes. And these sticky mistakes are going to be things like vices that we have, right? Like where yeah. we systematically behave in a bad way. And we're typically gonna know about them in the abstract. Um, that is, we'll look. We've encountered them enough times, right? That, and people have probably told them to us enough times. But what it's when somebody points it out, like in the concrete, and says, "Hey, you're doing this bad thing right now." Um, that's a thing another person can do for you. Socrates says that other people are like mirrors, and they show us who we are, um, and that there's stuff about yourself you don't see. So this is what other people can do for you. They can show you the mistakes, the sticky mistakes that you're repeatedly making. But the problem is most people don't want to use other people for that goal because they don't want to see their own mistakes. They don't want to see those ones. They want to see the slippery ones, the ones that are easy to get rid of, not the sticky ones.
0: So in my experience, having recently had people point out some of my mistakes, (laughs) I can... Remember the emotion and the feeling of it. I think the immediate feeling is, like you were saying out with Alcibiades, how can I make this go away fast? Mm-hmm. Right? I don't want to be reflecting this. I don't want to be looking at this. I want to look at something else. So I want to make this go away fast. And so then, but of course, the fastest way to make it go away is just to forget about it and not do anything about it. It's just to put it out of your mind and distract yourself. Yeah. So then the challenge would be, how can you see a mistake or how can you help somebody else see a mistake and at that moment offer them something better to do with it than look away? Some sort of a hook by which they could update something else about their beliefs about themselves, some new, you know, stance they could take about themselves that would help. They need something fast. (laughs) They don't want to stay in this position very long. Cause they've got some easy outs like making up a new theory. And that probably is the hard part. Like if you, it's not enough to merely point out somebody's mistake. If you do that without anything else, they will immediately, you know, look away, find a new excuse, be done with it. And then, you know, forget about it. And they won't really remember the ep- episode as being very pleasant anyway, so. You know, they won't like you so much. So what you need to do is have have a new framing for them. Like not just here's a mistake, but like here's how you can understand yourself as someone made, made the mistake and now see yourself in a new light in some way that you're willing to embrace. Which asks a lot more, of course, of the person pointing out the mistake.
1: Mistake pointer outer. Yeah. But what if, like, it just seems to me that it would just be hard to know what that is as the mistake pointer outer.
0: Right. So, you, I mean, presumably Socrates is offering Alcibiades some other conception of themselves besides, I am all about justice. Because he's going to have to embrace something at some point, some new conception. So, the question is where does this new conception come from? Does Socrates help him with it? Or is there is Socrates just going to keep beating at him until he finds it himself?
1: Yeah, I think the new conception he offers him is we can figure out what justice is.
0: Okay, so, but then that has to be made vivid and attractive enough that he's willing to switch his identity, say, I, from I am the person who knows justice to I am a person inquiring into justice. And that has to be attractive enough as an alternative to be willing to make the switch.
1: Yeah, I mean maybe that's going to be the characteristic move that is acceptable to people. It's like if you're committed to knowing something, then if all you have to do is shift over to finding it out, then that's not as threatening a transition,
0: right? Cuz I'm I'm now the person who's going to know.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Just a few months later and I will, I will be the person who knows. And then I will be the person I wanted to be before the person who knows. Not that big a difference. If you tell me I will never know what justice is, now it's more problematic. I am the person who figured out that no one can ever know. It's a new, pretty different identity.
1: Right. Except like, it might take a long time. That's the worry is like how patient is the person gonna be like because it, because it's probably not going to be next week you know that they that they suddenly know what justice is
0: but but now you will frame who is virtuous you know people in the world who are virtuous are the people who are trying to understand justice that's the new distinction like before it was people who knew justice or who didn't that was good versus bad but now it's people who are trying versus people who aren't even trying that's the new distinction and you can embrace that.
1: Right. I mean, I guess that's exactly what um, happens at the end of the Alcibiades. You know, Alcibiades is basically like Socrates. I'm going to be like your groupie from now on. And Socrates does. not I mean, uh, that that doesn't quite work out between Socrates and Alcibiades, but he does end up with a lot of groupies. um, And maybe that's the that's the self-conception that he offers people um, is that we're the people who are um, we can we can uh, retreat. To the position of being the people who can figure it out.
0: Now, in some sense, this is the prototypical rationalist move. Right. So the simple-minded concept of intellectuals is some of some of them know more than others. Right? I learn relativity and now I can look down on people who don't know relativity, right? That's like I've read the encyclopedia section B. So I know bees and battleships and I'm better than you. Cause I know about bees and battleships. And then at some point people realize how little they know and how many things other people know, and now counting up who knows more is a little problematic. And people switch their identity to, okay, I am an inquirer of a certain sort and I follow certain rules and I admit when I'm wrong and that's my new identity and that's in some sense the the rationalist switch switch, or even the even the philosopher's switch, right? The philosopher isn't the person who knows a lot of philosophy. The philosopher is a person who knows how to inquire into philosophy.
1: So I guess I think like... Um, sometimes it seems to me that the, um, the rationalist move is just locating a different place to be arrogant. Well, of like, course. yes. Um,
0: um yes, but it's a more defensible place is
1: the point. Uh, and um but I, I think that I mean the the position that Alcibiades is in is he's thinking to himself, I have to know P, but I don't know P, right? Those are like the um the things that he's trying to combine. And I guess I feel like Um, I often feel that the rationalists just give up on the I have to know, like that they're happy with themselves if they have like some kind of good estimate of how wrong they might be or something. And that that's like, that's all a person could ever really want. Um, And what, like, you know, even if we do say that Socrates is offering people the opportunity for a certain kind of virtue, the thought is like, yeah, but it's supposed to not be enough. Like it's supposed to be a form of virtue where you're always aware that you don't have this other thing. Um, right. Uh, it's sort of like the very title of less wrong. It's almost like we're trying to be less wrong, but also we're like less wrong than the rest of you. So actually, we're just like better than everybody else. Yeah. Um. Um. As opposed to like, no, we want to be right. Like that is that's the goal. Um. And um. And so we're we're defective in virtue of not being right. And it's not it's unacceptable that we don't know what virtue is or justice is. Um. And so that that's a different um. That there's a certain characteristic misunderstanding of Socrates, where what he's doing is retreating to one piece of meta knowledge, namely that he knows that he doesn't know anything except this one piece of knowledge, right? Yeah. And I think that that's a lot like what rationalists are like, but it's not what Socrates is like. He doesn't retreat to that piece of meta knowledge. He's always like um 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 on the battleground, like trying to figure out what justice is and being like, okay, maybe this guy knows. Um. And that that does seem like a different way of combining, I must know P and uh, I don't know P, the the the, the inquisitive way. Um, so,
0: it, I mean, it seems to me we're getting on something very important and interesting that we've come at before from different angles, which is sometimes you and I have had different conceptions of the ideal inquirer or the ideal intellectual and different norms we think they should follow or whatever. But I I might think it's more at core. We have these ideals, the ideal intellectual, and we have some features of them in our mind, and then we aspire to meet those ideals. But there's a family of different ideals that people have had over time. And we, you know, maybe we're both see ourselves as past the simple rationalist ideal, but we may have different ideals. That is, we're each trying to say, well, that's not good enough. Let's find a new ideal, but honestly, Mike, it can be hard to figure out what ideal really makes sense because there's a bunch of trade-offs. Uh, is it enough just to honestly be inquiring into what's true? Uh, is it enough to admit when you're wrong? Is it enough to have, be on the right important questions? Is it enough to perhaps have some idea what you would use it for? I mean, these are, various conditions we could imagine adding to our requirements for an ideal intellectual. And if we add enough, we probably won't be able to satisfy it. But if we satisfy, if we sack, you know, decide we're satisfied with some limited set, you might say, well, that's not good enough. I want you to be more ambitious. Try harder.
1: Well, I mean, this category, this word intellectual is more of your word than my word and... Fine.
0: Whatever word you want to use.
1: Well, I would I, I mean, I might say philosopher. and the thing about a philosopher is that they I feel are not ideal by that word. You feel excluded by the word philosopher?
0: Well, yeah, because you guys have a department and you call Department of Philosophy, and we're in the other departments. So, like...
1: you're not in the Department of <laughs> Social Science, but you consider yourself a social scientist. Well,
0: in fact, humanities and social sciences is the name of our division which economics is in. So yeah, we are in the Department of Social Science.
1: Okay, then you're also a humanist (laughs) by that argument.
0: Okay. Well, so humanity humanity's added and, you know, there's there's the end means they're separate. But anyway, but the Uh, point is we can uh, have these different names for these ideals. Well,
1: well, no, no, my point was to say that philosopher is constitutionally cannot be an ideal because the whole point is that a philosopher is somebody who's trying to be somebody else. That's like saying the ideal trainee. Like the ideal trainee is not a kind of ideal because they're trying to not be a trainee. Okay. Um, And so like your idea of an intellectual kind of smooshes together two things that for me are really importantly different. Namely, um, someone who is in an ideal cognitive condition, that person is a knower. They know stuff and they're not wrong about the stuff that they know. Uh, And that's what it is for them to be ideal. So there aren't going to be a bunch of more paradoxical sentences that are true of them because they're the ideal and they know stuff, except about stuff that's unimportant. Um, And then there's the person who's trying to know. And that person's not ideal. They can't be because they don't have the thing that they want. And so the philosopher is in the second camp.
0: Okay, but there's still a bunch of other criteria we could add as conditions in our own self-concept that we are either have or aspire to. And it's interesting that different kinds of thinkers have these different packages of ideals in their head and different degrees to which they're trying to achieve them. Um, And it's worth just laying out that space of the different self-concepts, I think, of different kinds of thinkers.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I think um, my feeling is like, if you're like beggars can't be choosers, if you're a philosopher, you're a beggar. And so you've just got to figure out how to make people talk to you so that you can learn stuff. And your ideal of who that is, is going to be whatever is going to get people to talk to you so that you can learn stuff from them um, because you can't figure it out on your own because you can't find your own mistakes. Um,
0: so and- give you some examples, like in STEM, at least there are the people who see rigor as the central defining characteristic, right? And in their mind, they are rigorous. And what that means is if if they don't have rigorous methods or rigorous vocabulary for a topic, they just set it aside as not my thing because people like me don't take positions and talk about those things, at least with our official hats on, we are rigorous. So that's one kind of self-concept. Another kind is the activist concept. Some people think being a thinker really isn't a value unless I have a relationship to a political project and I have some, I'm using my thinking in some way to advance that and yes, otherwise sure I'm worth, I'm otherwise I'm worthless, right?
1: Yes. I would put you in that category. Cause you think that it's very important to think about what you would use the ideas for.
0: Well, I think of that as, as a third kind of criteria, a more broader than the political one. Not all, not all. Use, uses uses just
1: like some activists. There's like the politics, Within activists, there's, like, politics, right, of how some of the activists hate the other activists, and you don't okay. like the ones that are, like, political, so you're like, they're not my group. So that's, like, not a political I
0: haven't denigrated any of these people. I'm still just trying to to distinguish, to name
1: these various right. kinds but of But I guess I, I, I think that that is the, the, the people for whom knowledge isn't important unless you can use it for something. I would call that the activists.
0: Okay, but there are. Political uses and non-political uses. is all I was trying to say. That and many people, it's important not just that they have a use, but that they have a political use. Okay, fine. And, and that's an important self-conception of people, right? And then there are some people for whom, like, being allied with some set of people who share your views together is positive. From people, it's a negative. Like, so some some thinkers are sort of contrarian by their nature. Right. And being a contrarian is kind of part of their brand. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And if they were found too much to cohere and agree with a group of people too much, they would think they had betrayed that it's almost a principle to them. And I think I've been like that to some degree and I'm around other people who are somewhat like that. So I feel especially aware of that some people for whom the contrarianness of of a set of positions and stances is some you know important central. I mean, they they talk about like being like Galileo and being willing to defy convention and to, you know not suck knuckle under social pressure and you know but all that's
1: Galileo's a weird person to compare yourself to then because he did knuckle under. Ross, <laughs> <Well>, yeah, <laughs> but, okay, right, but <laughs>
0: you you know the story. The point is that there's people the for story
1: whom... is that he did knuckle under pressure. I mean, what, because because he said something different the minute that he died? Um, okay. He,
0: you know, his his struggle is at least something I identify with, right? So a lot of people, an important thing about being intellectual is defying some pressure and some authorities to, st- to state the truth, even if there's penalties for it, right? And this, yeah. for some people, they aren't an intellectual until they've been in that moment. That's the moment that validates them as a, as a cert- the kind of thinker they want to be, is the moment where they speak truth to power or... Something like that.
1: Defined. So, I, I mean, I, I, I identify with that last one Um, in that you have to be disagreeing with people in order to get them to refute you. And so being a contrarian is just saying things people are inclined to disagree with. And that's how you learn from them. But to me, the idea that's the thing that's weird is the people who want to combine defiance with being an activist like you. Um, where it's like you want to say things that people don't like and don't expect, and then you want to change the world and make it like that way that they don't want to hear that it is. Um, so that's a that's an that's an odd collocation of um, of motivations. Um, but you know, if I could just say something about the rigor people, right? Like rigor literally means stiffness, right? Like yep. rigor mm-hmm. mortis. Yeah. Um, and I think that the thought about rigor, that's exactly what I think is sort of missing. In philosophy, rigor is possible when you can hold your thinking stable by yourself. So, like logic, right? Yeah, uh, which you know doesn't exist yet in any in any kind of formulated way at the time that Socrates is talking to people. Um, logic is an attempt to kind of see your own mistakes, right? Um. And if you can have like a rigorous methodology, then you can think about stuff by yourself because you can kind of alienate your thinking from yourself and then look at it and then look at its like formal properties and then see whether it works. Um, but for sort of and, and and we can do that in philosophy when we get out a little ways from the fundamental questions. But when we're near the fundamental questions, um, we can't do that. And we're just we're just polluted by our own mistakes to the point that we can't see them. And so we're kind of helpless, like the way that the way that you describe the person who's like going to be methodologically rigorous, who can turn up their nose at that's not my thing. It's just like they're not beggars. Right. Um, And non beggars can be choosers. But um, if you're just at sea and like all you've got is other is the hope that other people are going to correct you, then you better be very friendly and very contrarian. Because those are the two things you can do to get people to correct you.
0: I mean, I do think we have lots of ways to find mistakes besides logic. I mean, for example, if we just write something down and put it away and read it again in six months, we often, that distance gives us some ability to uh, critique what we wrote before.
1: Right. I think you're, you are a little bit of a different person at a later time. And so your older self can critique your younger self, but that's not very efficient process because you might want to know now whether your views now are right or wrong and not have to wait six months plus some of your more fundamental errors are likely to persist for six months so yeah i think you can use the trick of i'm i'm going to be a different person later so later me can critique earlier me um but you know it'd be better if you had that later you around right now to critique you and that's what other people are
0: so most people aren't intellectuals or professional thinkers, but most people are still feeling like they're holding themselves to standards in their thinking and they are somewhat proud and, you know, feel like it's almost a moral thing that they should hold themselves to certain kind of thinking standards. So I think it's also interesting to wonder what those standards are. Maybe they are some echo of standards they heard from some professor <laughs> earlier on in education, but uh, interestingly. I mean, almost anyone I've ever met in any walk of life holds themselves to some standard for what good thinking is.
1: Or they say they do. I think yes. what really happens is other people hold us to standards. We don't do okay. it. But we should yes. um, we should stop because we've got more than an hour.
0: All right. Nice talking.
1: Yeah.